Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard. Hope everyone's good out there right now. Hi everyone, Mad Guy here. How are we all doing? Hello everyone, Stu here. Wiki Wawa. Well, well. <laughs> We're in the wild, wild west, are we, Stu? Oh yeah, I'll, I've had the urge to, you know, when I've been on my, my Blu-ray buying spree recently to upgrade my DVDs, mm. um, that was an offer <laughs> of Wild Wild West and for four pound, and I thought, <laughs> is it really <laughs> worth four pound? Probably not, but I haven't seen it for a long time. So I was in the end, I never, I never took the plunge, but it's still available. Well, I think there's a good reason for that, to be honest. <laughs> it's funny, right? Maybe like the very, very first early question of this podcast: When are Blu-rays going to start to creep into charity shops? That's what I want to know. Never. Oh, they, they definitely will. It's too niche because you, if you buy a Blu-ray, you're, you're a perfectionist and you, you don't want just DVDs like Scott does for no reason at all. So, I mean, most of my, the vast majority of mine are 3D Blu-rays, which you can't really, unless you're downloading like 20 gig files, you can't really replicate that anyway through any other way. So, But just buying things for the sake of it, you might see like Blu-rays of like, Lee Evans live and stuff like that where <laughs> how dare you <laughs> yeah, Christmas presents that no one wants anymore yeah exactly that mm. well the people have bought blu-rays instead of dvds again like Scott um so that's the only way it's going to be possible but from the I've never seen I'm trying to think of the old days of game and stuff like that where you had your bargain basement your buckets and stuff there weren't many DVDs in that. It was always it was always DVDs. It was never Blu-ray. So mm. maybe they are maybe, too specialist. Maybe in the posher, the posher ends, the posher charity shops have Blu-rays. If so, if you listen to this and your local Compton Care or equivalent has Blu-rays, let me know because I bloody love going charity shop shopping for tat. <laughs> yeah. I love a charity shop that's a book specialist. That's very much my uh, my thing. Could spend days in those places. Well, that was where I got my um, hardback first edition William Regal by uh, autobiography from Compton Care. And one day I will get that. I will get it signed by the man himself. <laughs> <laughs> if you've yeah. you got a, a Compton Care in Wensfield, are you sure? Is it yeah, on the High Street? Yeah, it's on the High Street. Yeah. If I know there's, there's three charity shops in Wensfield, <laughs> you'd think that we'd know. It's like a mecca. <laughs> Super. So we'll get on to the news anyway. As ever, there is a shit ton of stuff for us to be getting through. So we'll start off with a bit of the gamer news. It was recently confirmed that back in 2014, Netflix had started working on a live-action Zelda TV series. It was going to be Game of Thrones, but for a family audience. But apparently, as soon as this news hit the press, Nintendo freaked out and pulled the plug on it. They were also working on a Star Fox claymation show. I'd, I'd love to have known why Netflix just sorry why Nintendo just decided to pull the plug when it got leaked from Netflix. I, I genuinely have no mm. idea. I wonder if it's because they've been bitten in the past with some some properties they haven't quite taken off. And you think of the Mario Brothers film, maybe. I don't know, like the the Zelda um, show, the way you described it. Then, me being the snob that I am, I pulled my nose at it almost straight away. <laughs> being like, 
Oh, Game of Thrones for kids, and I'm not really interested <laughs> in that. But um, a Star was it Star Fox Claymation? I think that had, that would have the potential to be quite fun. Um, to be honest, anything. I mean, Star Fox for me is N sixty four. I know. I think it was earlier than that. Anyway, it was released. But Star Fox is N sixty four for me, mm. and I'll, I'd love to have a, a bit more content from that world. Yeah, it was Star Wing on the uh, Super Nintendo for us. Mm. Uh, yeah. Over here, anyway, it was it's always been Star Fox in America, but in Japan, but for some reason, it was Star Wing here. But yeah, I mean, Zelda's Zelda's always been kiddie anyway. It should never have been a live action show. It just wouldn't work for the reason Matt just said. If they if they'd done it like in the style of Wind Waker, it's there, ready for you. Just carry that on. Mm. Just animate it and make it good. I mean, have you watched the Castlevania series now? Because I've seen the first, I think I've only seen the first one of the, it's only three, isn't it, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah, and they're superb, and that mm. works perfectly in, in that animation style. So you only have to make it more cel-shaded, like we were talking about two weeks ago, um, and make it like Wind Waker. That would be perfect. Live action, never going to work. Mm. Uh, one game to TV show which hasn't been canned is the Resident Evil show on Netflix. It'll be eight one-hour episodes, and the plot will centre around two timelines, one which is revolving around 14-year-old sisters Jade and Billy Wesker, who move to New Raccoon City, where their father appeals to be concealing dark secrets which may threaten the world. And the second timeline is going to be set 10 years into the future, where the now 30-year-old Jade is trying to survive in the world post-T-virus outbreak. I'm quite looking forward to that because I think that's a property that needed something good and those films were not that thing. So I'm, I'm quite interested to see how this is going to get built on. Yeah, it's, it's good that it's not going down like the really predictable and easy to do, just Leon and Claire like timeline and, and do something a bit fresh with it as well because they, they can still hammer you with the nostalgia like by having you know, Nemesis pop up or like a like a, mm. a design drawing or something, you know like something but it just give it a bit of a freshen up i think avoiding those two characters at least as the central plot is it will be good there's nothing wrong with them films they it's it's like it's like what we were talking about earlier before recording it's like fast and furious for zombies that's what <laughs> the later ones when they when they just know what they are they're just it's just nonsense. It's just pure nonsense. Just enjoy it for what it is. It's not good in any in any way. <laughs> but it's as as we found last week, good doesn't mean you can't be enjoyable. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that is very, very true. <laughs> uh, Sonic two, which has finally been given a release date, it's gonna be May next year. Reportedly, Jason Momoa has been offered a role. That's Knuckles. <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted with that. Like, I, genuinely, if you need someone who is Samoan, if, if you're not getting the rock, you're going to go for Jason Momoa, surely. But it's, it's got to be just voice. It can't be motion capture as well. That would make no sense whatsoever. <laughs> just have a jacked up knuckles. That'd be awesome. <laughs> now, I haven't seen the Sonic film. And I know that you guys absolutely love it. Um, did I hear on the last episode of the episode before, Tails pops up? At the end, yeah, it? yeah. Who, who plays Tails? 
There, there was no voice or anything. Oh, he literally just comes out of a portal and that was it. Oh, okay. So when I was like uh, playing Sonic, Tails was always my favourite character. I was always like, I was always preferred the sidekicks in games in the in the same way that at Sooty and Sweep, I was always Team Sweep. <laughs> so it'd be interesting to see if like if he, if Tails gets a, a bigger bigger run with the ball on in the second one. I probably will watch it because I know you guys talk it up quite a lot. And it's quite universally loved. Well, if you look at the logo for the for Sonic Two, the the bottom of the two splits into two tails. So he's oh, gonna okay. be. And if you look at Andy's uh, Twitter profile, is it your Twitter one as well, or just WhatsApp? You, the profile picture. Uh, just WhatsApp, I think. That's the reaction of seeing Tails when he didn't know Tails was in the first one. <laughs> yeah, because it's a post-credit thing, and I didn't stick around for the post-credits. So when I saw it, that was like nearly a tear in my eye. It was just fantastic. That was in the Gifford so- when uh, you weren't allowed it to play that one day. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, sh- when that you was were a- grounded. That was a choice, <laughs> and me being stubborn. Thank you very much. <laughs> Sure, it was. In Star Wars news, Ryan Johnson, the man who has made the only original and interesting Star Wars film in 41 years, is back up to the plate. It's been confirmed that his on again, off again trilogy is now back on again. I'm genuinely delighted with this. I think Johnson is a superb creative mind. And he's the only one who didn't pander to the nostalgic feelings with the films. He actually tried to do something original and different. And well, the, the weird thing is, is Star Wars fans, they both want something nostalgic and they want something unique. And you'll never please them because you'll never get them, give them both of those things. No, I just want something I'm, good. I'm really pleased with that. Just want something good. And The Last Jedi is not good, but his other stuff is. So left to his own devices and to make something of his own and not within studio kind of pressure and uh, tick boxing this, then I'm I'm quite excited for it from that point of view, not from the fact of The Last Jedi, because obviously who would be other than you? I think, well, yeah, but The Last Jedi was the only interesting film of that trilogy because the other two films were just rehashes of what's been done before. At least The Last Jedi was something else. He actually he cleaned the field and they gave them the opportunity to make something unique. And then J.J. Abrams came back with, what's his face, bloody Palpatine. So, really? Is that what you're going back to that well again? Ah, wasn't for me. Uh, in the MCU, there is some news coming thick and fast out there. War Machine, he's apparently going to be appearing in WandaVision and he's confirmed a showing up in the Falcon and Winter Soldier, which is then going to lead into the Armor War series, which was announced late last year, which if you've not checked out me and Stu on Uncaged, we, we discuss all of those things. But it seems like they're pushing War Machine quite hard here. A bit of an odd character to give the spotlight now after all these years. Hmm. I don't think he's certainly not on the marquee. Um, what is it Tony Schiavone said? That'll put the butts in the seats. It's not really yeah. one of those kind of characters, is it really, that will, that kind of generates the, the, the mass interest? But like many things, like any kind of evolving football club, sometimes you have to have transition and you have to create new stars. <laughs> so maybe that's just what this is. I mean, we just need to keep the faith. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seeing it from almost fresh eyes now, watching through the MC, halfway through watching the MCU from start to finish, watching the three Iron Man films, 
obviously the first one, it's not him, but it's the same character. Um, I was actually thinking he should have been in more of this because he is fun. If you watch him, and his character is very much a secondary character, so if Falcon and Winter Soldier are taking two secondary characters anyway, then why not throw a mm. third one in? It, that that for that for series, it makes perfect sense to me. WandaVision, who the fuck knows anymore? It's, it's just craziness every Friday, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's good on him. He deserves it. I, I like Don Cheadle as well. Seems, yeah, it seems yeah, like I'm a, good a fan guy. of his work. Mm, definitely. Black Widow is still down for the May 7th release date. Now, I know that in the UK, we're looking at cinemas opening on the 17th of May, but obviously it'll still be limited numbers up until June at the very earliest. But obviously the whole world is at different stages of this pandemic. So are Disney going to postpone it? Are they going to do a simultaneous release, put it on Disney Plus and in cinema screens? Maybe just put it on Disney Plus? What? What's going on, basically? Because they can't keep delaying it, I don't think. They've already done it two or three times, and I feel like they need to finally shit or get off the pot with it. Mm, again, though, for me, like Black Widow was a... Let's say they wanted to push the platform of Disney+. Plus. Um, it's not the kind of film that you go with that will have people subscribing in their droves. Do you know what I mean? Mm. If they released... I don't know, even like Doctor Strange, I don't think has that pulling power, unless it's one of Iron Man, Captain America or Thor. I don't think there is that. So they might as well just do it, release it with a little, like with little fanfare. There's no point holding off anymore with it. You're not going to get there. They're not going to get the response they want from it anyway. So you might as well just, just release it and continue with the, with with the plan that it would have always been because there's, there's that backlog then. There's always going to be you, you push back one. You've got to then start pushing back others, or you you oversaturate. I mean, to be fair, she is dead, and this is a prequel, <laughs> so they can um, they can do release this whenever they want. This one doesn't. I know what you're saying because it, with everything else, they can't mess around anymore. They, the things have to come out, mm-hmm. but just because of this being set between, I think it's Age of Ultron and. I did read it the other day when it's actually set. It doesn't really matter, so they could either hold it or just put it out. It doesn't matter anymore. I mean, if they could be, if they're sensible that where they're going to make the money here, America and China, which is what the normal three. Mm. So if they put it back a month for here, America's so fucking crazy and everything's open anyway, so it doesn't matter. And China's nearly fixed, so put it back a month. And release it on both day and date, Disney Plus and cinemas. Job done. Yeah, I, I'm very much leaning towards that. And like Matt was just saying, it's not like Black Widow is this marquee character. I I didn't have massive amounts of interest when it was originally supposed to be out. And the more it keeps getting pushed back, the less interested I am in seeing it. I'll probably just wait for it to go onto Disney Plus anyway at this rate because. I don't really care. And if it wasn't for the fact that Florence Pugh and David Harbour are in it, I probably wouldn't give it the time of day because I'm not a big fan of that character or Scarlett Johansson, to be honest. Sacrifice. Uh, one thing which is definitely going to Disney Plus, though, and that is Ryan Coogler. He signed a five-year exclusivity deal with Disney and he's going to be bringing a Wakanda series or two to life on the small screen. 
and also Sony are preparing a show set within the Spider-Verse. It's going to be a live-action anthology series set with different Spider-Mans and Spider-Womans uh, from around their multiverse, obviously spinning out of the film of the uh, similar title. So we've heard that obviously Nicholas might be reprising his role <laughs> as Spider-Man Noir in an animated movie. Do you think he might suit up in black and we'll get to see him actually live and in, I say in colour, in black and white in this case? That'd be quite awesome. I'd love to see that. Oh, it's... I hadn't even thought about that, but now I am, and I can't think of anything else. It's like there's, like, I'm sure I read there's 900 different universes within this Spider-Verse. So really, this is a show that would go on indefinitely. I'm genuinely quite excited about that, probably more so than anything that they've announced on Disney+. Plus. That sounds fantastic. I mean, what are they going to do over a universe of the week kind of situation? Possibly. Yeah. I mean, they could always have a crossover or a couple of three episode story arc or whatever really i suppose black mirror but with spider-man <laughs> i'd be dead with that <laughs> uh, so if we jump over a little bit we'll talk about Zack snyder for a minute he's got a busy old year ahead of him his next film is going to be army of the dead it's been given its release date which is the 21st of may so happy birthday to me and he's also hinted that his next big movie is going to be a retelling of the King Arthur story. We haven't really spoke about Snyder on this part. What do we think of him as a director? Are we fans or, or not? Um, it's not. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, just, I, I wouldn't say so. You know, I'm not, in the same way that Nolan. Sorry, opposite tonight. It's not one of those. Snyder isn't one of those where I go. I must see the, the next Snyder film. I have to see it because it's going to be, it's it's going to be Inception all over again. Um, and I know we don't want to get into the tenant debate again. <laughs> um, I don't have that same kind of appeal, but I, I think for the take this as well for the filthy masses, Justice League will be the make or break for him, depending on how that comes out, because that's. Mm. Up to, you know, the most anticipated thing going at the moment. So for for the wider film audience or movie audience, this will be the thing that either takes him to that extreme level or, or not. You can for me, you can see where he came from. It's very very visually stunning, but mm. is there really much depth there? Mm, doesn't really need to be much when you, he is what he is. He if you want something that looks fantastic then he's your man, and it works. Um, but same as Matt, I'm, I don't hate him, and I'm not really a rah-rah fan of his either. So, But yeah, just take him as leaving. But the um, the DC films are what they are, and they could have been brighter, but they're in his image, and hopefully this carries that on properly. I mean, we, we do have to give um, respect to the to the man who gave us Sucker Punch. So, Ugh. do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like I love the Dawn of the Dead remake. I think that is fantastic and arguably better than the original, and I love the original. I really enjoyed Watchmen as well. And then shortly after that, it was announced that he's going to be doing Man of Steel. And then in between Watchmen and Man of Steel was Sucker Punch. And this was the first time that he took a property that wasn't based on pre-existing work. Mm-hmm. And I think he absolutely shat the bed with that film. <laughs> I know. Like it's it's 
one of the worst films I've ever seen. <laughs> and I, I dread to think how much money they actually spent on that movie because it is appalling. But then I have enjoyed his films within the DCEU. Like, they've got their faults, but, you know, like Stu said, they are what they are, really. Mm. But yeah, he's a visual director who I think, if he's given a helping hand with the story, could be a, a good director. Uh, also, Justice League, as you've just mentioned, it, it's been confirmed that he's getting a same-date worldwide release. So it's not just going to be in the States. They've confirmed it's going to be over here. And I think there's France and China as the only ones which aren't getting it for some reason. So we will get to see it. We won't have to wait. That That's good news. Yeah, and I'll uh, also I'll say, like we've always said uh, many things with this, if you if you put it out there properly, people will pay it rather than pirate it, which yeah. we would have, we were doing this, we would have had no choice because I ain't waiting. There's no, and we can't watch it in the cinemas. So what would have been the op- other option? They make no money. I mean, people mm. still will like, the next day that it'll be everywhere, but I'll pay for it day and day just so I can see it on the first day. Yep, absolutely, hundred percent. Sucker Punch cost eighty-two million to make. Oof, Jesus, I'd want to fuck all the receipts for that. I'd be claiming it back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whilst we're talking DC, there are two DC TV stories to go. Uh, HBO are producing a Constantine TV series. This is likely going to be part of the Justice League Dark series, which JJ Abrams is developing. Uh, Constantine will not be a blonde-haired Brit based on Sting, though, which I've got to admit, that does annoy me a little bit. That is who the character is. It should just be Matt Ryan again, regardless of of universe. Yeah. And the other thing, HBO have appointed Joe Barton as the showrunner for Gotham PD, and that looks like it's going to be the show that Gotham promised us it was going to be and then failed to deliver. I remember being really excited about Gotham because I I don't know if either of you have read Gotham PD. It's a series by Ed Brubaker set in the, uh, obviously in the, the police department in Gotham and Batman has nothing to do with it. You don't even see him in the books. It's just about the men and women who deal with all of the superhero shit whilst he's off doing all of the glamorous stuff. And that's what Gotham was supposed to be. Nothing to do with Batman. It was just about the police officers. And very quickly it became about that really fucking annoying kid. (laughs) So I was quite glad that we're going to be getting away from that. And it's going to be set, I think it's just before the Batman film comes out. So it's going to be early in the back run. So I'm really looking forward to it. I feel like I have to step in here and defend Fox's Gotham. Because I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. Because in your heart of hearts, can you honestly say Batman is... The best things about Batman isn't Batman. It's about the villains. And Fox's Gotham was all about the villains. And that's what made it so good because their villains were so colourful and so vibrant. So this is their a... villains were awful. I didn't think like, so. I enjoyed it. I really that, enjoyed it. That piss poor Jerome kid. I hated him. <laughs> that, that was not the Joker. It was a really bad pastiche. I thought it was terrible. Well, the only one I didn't mind. I didn't mind um, Ed Nigma. Mm-hmm. I thought he, he was quite an interesting actor. And Penguin was okay, but then very quickly became like a caricature. And I didn't really like him after too long. All the rest were just sort of there. 
different strokes, my friend. For yeah. Different folks. I, I loved it as well, <laughs> but it was it was before we knew you. Though, so this is this was like the um, the wine dandy way of using transformers all the time for <laughs> uh, what's Gotham going to be like this week. But yeah, I it as soon as it changed about halfway through the second series to just being stupid, that's when I got on board more because it, it it kind of okay. We're gonna go camp now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah fine. It started like you said. It started with what it was promising to be, but you could quite mm. clearly see they didn't have the budget to do that, so they went the cheap route and went stupid. So that's when I was I fully embraced. It was almost like a spiritual successor to the sixties, really. So, mm, I guess. Uh, in other film news, there has been a leak reporting that Matrix Four is going to be titled The Matrix Resurrections. Stu, this is your chance to mock me for still not having seen the Blu-rays. You better hurry up. I'll have to watch them again in preparation. I'll have to go back. <laughs> and locked, and we can uh, see each other again in person soon. Um, yeah, it makes sense because of what happened at the end of the third one. So, so I'm guessing he died at the end of the third one then. Um, did he die or did everything die? So it, it's out there for interpretation. Um, right, okay. But, so they've kind of spoiled it, it a bit with the title. Well, no, because everyone, everyone with a brain would have seen it already, wouldn't they? So everyone knows the end of the Matrix. <laughs> but no, it, it can mean a lot of different things, to be fair to it. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure what I know that it's hinting at. Mm. Matt, are you a fan of the, the trilogy? Uh, no, I'm a fan of the first film. I'm not a fan of the trilogy. Um, in that, you know... I'm going to make the second analogy in two different mediums now. So there's a fan cat WhatsApp, the fan cast WhatsApp chat that I've made this analogy, and I'm going to make it here. Matrix one, or the original Matrix, Marks and Spencer's pork pie. <laughs> Matrix two, Matrix three, Aldi pork pie. They're all pork pies. Everyone likes pork pies, but they, it's not Marks and Spencer's pork pies. Do you know what I mean? This isn't Waitrose mm. pork pies. They're just not as good. They're 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 shallow imitations, and there's there's a rave in a cave in one of them. What's all that about? Like, <laughs> you don't one. need that in the Matrix. Come on. That's when he, uh, him and Trinity get it on as well. Just after that, and I, I don't like pork pies. I think speak for yourself. It's not a sausage roll, is it? Well, <laughs> we, we're now of Alex all Pol. the things. Of all the things we've discussed, that is probably the most shocking thing. The <laughs> most shocking revelation is Stu doesn't like pork pies. I don't yeah, know why. Don't take this the wrong way, Stu. You and I don't mean from a weight point of view. I mean just <laughs> from like from just knowing you, you're definitely a pork pie man. Nope. Yeah, I, I would have thought you'd be there with the one with the egg in the middle and everything. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, other film news. Edgar Wright has been tapped up to make the Stephen King novel The Running Man into a film. It's reportedly going to be closer to the source material than the 87 classic. We're fans of the OG version. I think it's probably one of my favourite Arnie films, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Very good. very good. Looking forward to that. Yeah. And finally, we've got some Nick-ish news. Face Off is coming back. And it's been confirmed that it's not going to be a remake. It's actually going to be a sequel. Is there anyone we want to see starring? Who, whose faces are we going to be swapping in this one? 
He has to be in it. That's the main thing. He has to be in it somewhere. Well, I mean, he is technically dead, so we could get Travolta back. But then, like, surely they've just got his faith kept in storage, so they could bring Nick back as well, I suppose. Yeah, exactly, with, with a vinegar, like we said, we said at the time, <laughs> at the back. Uh, I don't know, Arnie Hammer. What, what they could always go with, down <laughs> from a plot point of view, they could always go with, they never celebrated his death properly, so they covered up his death, or something mm. like that. And they need him, they need Nick Cage's character to infiltrate a crime world to help save a bomb going off or something i don't know so that's the way of getting nick cage back involved with it in that they've got his they've got his face on ice so they could do it they could they could do it that way i think who would i want to see in that role they should go they should go completely hammer and tong with it like have like arnie hammer (laughs) well (laughs) but they should go like skinny black guy spit spit skinny black guy really massively overweight white guy and then just try to explain how they like <laughs> how, how they do it, just how, how, like <laughs> what like advancement in technology can they use? It's a bit of face off though. Did you see that picture of Travolta with a shaved head the other day? No, it, it, it looks almost like you. <laughs> I don't know if it was one of them things that um, that Zlatan did, but it was complete, oh, okay. completely shaved off. And I thought actually, he looks all right. He's, shaved he had, he's had a shaved head in something else before, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. I'm sure he has. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. That one, yeah. Yeah, because I think, I think um, it was Adam Hurry put it on their Twitter saying, does anyone else look like more like a manager of Sampdoria from the 2000s than John Travolta in this picture? <laughs> yeah, he does look a bit Lex Lutherish, to be fair to him. Hmm. Super. So that's the news. So we're delighted to announce that we have been joined by Paul Clayton. You Whovians will know Paul as Mr. Bartles in The Planet of the Ood. He also is the voice of Mirgrass in Doctor Who Infinite Quest. He appears in the Big Finish Productions Torchwood audiobooks. And to the rest of you peep show lovers, he is, of course, Sophie's dad, Ian. He's worked with two of the biggest comedy characters of all time in Alan Partridge and Ali G. So... We are genuinely delighted to have Paul with us tonight. Hi. Paul, just, how, are we, how are we doing this evening, Paul? Uh, I'm very well, and it's good to see you all. Thank you for asking me to come along and join in. Um, I think the great thing about all what we've been through is that we've all done new things, and this is another new thing for me to do, so I'm looking forward to it. Wonderful. I mean, we only started this podcast because of lockdown. <laughs> we, we was watching that many films. We thought we needed something to actually make use of the, the movies we were watching. Just before we get into it, when we get new guests on, we like to ask them just a couple of questions about their film tastes. Because we're primarily a Nick Cage based <laughs> podcast. What is your favourite Nick Cage film? Oh, God. Um that is quite hard, um, but I think I might. I know I should go for something classy, shouldn't I? Like, um, oh, no. is he in, <laughs> he's in Face Off, isn't he? Yeah, he yeah. is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's so preposterous. Yeah, uh, I love it. Just a wonder. I, I, I love it. I mean, it should. You know, if I love reality in films, that when they take me to somewhere and they just ask 
for your willing suspension of disbelief and then become absolutely preposterous. Um, my other half will be decrying it and I will be lapping it up. And uh, <laughs> I think that's probably, you know, we've changed our faces, but I'm really John Travolta. Uh, <laughs> I think that's brilliant. So let's go with, let's go with them um, face off. That's a great answer. Uh, what is your go-to film snack? Are you a sweet or a salty popcorn or no popcorn at all? What do you prefer? Uh, I'm sweet, I think. I am actually, um, I'm a bit of a popcorn snob. So we do tend to get it in Waitrose and take it with us. <laughs> That's uh, fine. I like toffee popcorn. Um, we do have a second home in Birmingham in the Cube, and there's a really nice everyman cinema uh, in the yes. mailbox. About It takes us 30 seconds from our flat to... Um, to the oh. everyman and um that's brilliant and there's a tesco next door with a great selection of salted caramel and um <laughs> and toffee so uh, i'm afraid it's it's sweet sweet and sweet really Excellent. sounds good to me <laughs> uh, finally if you could only watch one film for the rest of your life what film are you going to watch that that's a tough one i think Okay, I'm going to watch Theatre of Blood with Vincent Price. Um, uh, because I suppose it, it encompasses both my worlds, which is film and fabulous English actors going so far over the top that they're coming down the other side. Um, just Perfect. before it was made, when I was about 15 or 16, I interviewed Diana Rigg on the... ITV Blue Peter, which is called Magpie, and um, she'd done on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and she was just about, or it was just about to be released, and she was telling me about it, and I was at that delicate age where getting into an X film was a matter of great optimism and bravado, <laughs> you know, to waltz into the Seldo <laughs> cinema in Rotherham and go, of course I'm 18, why are you asking? Um, so... Uh, I think a film in which, and I know there are others like it, Dr. Fives and things like that, but the mix of um, Shakespeare and those fabulous deaths and a cast to die for uh, of great British actors and the fact that it manages to be gory, outrageously funny and strangely moving. Mm. Um, is that I, it's the sort of thing I put on. We, I, we used to work at, you know, when the, the advent of the video recorder came and you were working in a theatre and sharing digs, you'd, you'd bring a video for film night after shows. Um, and um, Theatre of Blood was one that I had on, uh, on VHS. And I think I've watched it far too many times for my own good. Amazing. I love the fact it took you longer to get your Nicolas Cage film than your <laughs> greatest film. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. brilliant. <laughs> Nicolas, uh, Nicolas Cage is, is, is um, yeah, I must remember to add him to my Christmas card list after this. <laughs> get him on. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, so I need to ask you a question. Obviously, on Peep Show, you worked very closely with Olivia Coleman. How does it feel seeing Olivia Coleman now winning Oscars and is likely to be nominated again this year? Um, you do have a strange fatherly pride, really. Mm. Um, 
I mean, I think the thing is, is that uh, I didn't know Olivia, and I, I, I have to admit, I didn't know Peep Show before I went to meet the producers, and then before day one of walking into, uh, when we were doing series four, we had a week's rehearsal, and we rehearsed one episode a day for a week. Uh, so I walked in to um, meet her and um, my family, and I knew really very nothing about her. And she was glorious in that she looked after us very well. I've got quite a few television children, and um, <laughs> it, it's how well they look after you on that first day. Um, and Collie uh, was fabulous looking after Cheryl and I, where we got lunch and everything. Um, and when we were filming the wedding, uh, which we did in a church in Ealing in the middle of February, and it was very cold, the boys took hours, quite rightly so, to do that fabulous scene where Jeremy urinates down on everybody. <laughs> and that meant that Olivia and I were about half a mile away um, in our trailers and having a very, very long afternoon. And this is pre-iPads, so... Mm -hmm. No Netflix mm. and chill, you know, just in a trailer with a <laughs> book. And um, I remember her coming wrapped in a coat in her wedding dress and knocking on my trailer door and going, um, I'm really bored, can I come in? And we spent a couple of hours just getting to know each other. It wasn't our objective. She is absolutely delightful. Um, and, I, you know, she's she's what you see, what she, you get in her work. She's incredibly truthful and authentic. Um, but that is her as a person. Um, and I, it's so brilliant to see her doing so well. And um, long may it continue. Fantastic. I, I love Olivia Colman. So just to know that she's actually a nice person offset as well as what you see uh, in interviews. Brilliant. We had problems because I went back then. Obviously, I, I thought I was doing one series and I did five. But I would just go back for a day or two on other series. Um, but we all we had did have problems with giggling and and, uh, <laughs> and just I remember doing the, the scene um, before the at the baptism of little Ian when Ian when her baby gets called Ian um, and the boys are late arriving and just the scene at the door and we were both waiting behind the door to open the door uh, <laughs> and the number of times we had to open the door and just go sorry <laughs> um, <laughs> it was quite a incredible fantastic and obviously you worked with the 10th doctor Mr David Tennant now does this theory that your first doctor that you watched is your doctor, how does it feel working with the doctor? Does Tennant become your doctor or were you never really a Who fan before? No, I was a massive Who fan. And of course, I, I have to end up that my first doctor was William Hartnell um, <laughs> because I am that old. Uh, and then I remember the first time they changed the doctor and it, no, 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 that was wrong. And for, um, <laughs> uh, for quite a while, it was, but he's not the proper doctor. And of course, Patrick Troughton was absolutely brilliant. And then when it, they regenerated the second time uh, into John Pertwee, you sort of began to accept that's what it was. I, I drifted away probably after Tom Baker, because I got to that age whereby I was out doing things on a Saturday evening. Mm -hmm. Um, so 
we did. I did come back to it with great excitement with Chris um, and then David. And I, I, what I loved was I remember one Saturday watching, I think, a David episode before I did it um, with my partner, who is 18 years younger than me, and his nephew, who is about 20 years younger than him. And the three of us were sat side by side on a sofa watching Doctor Who uh, with absolutely the same reaction. And I thought, how brilliant that mm. uh, one programme on a Saturday night can grip three people who are 45, 46 years apart in age. Um, so I do have a, a soft spot for David. And also when I went down to do the read through, because I didn't have any scenes of David, uh, in fact, I think he was turning on the Blackpool Illuminations while I was um, being meeting a fateful end of Mr. Bartle. But um, I went down to Cardiff for the read-through and uh, said hello. And um, at the end of it, he came and said, we had already met because we'd done um, the Infinite Quest, I think it was called, with mm -hmm. Mia Grass in a recording studio. So we'd met. But he came and said, I'm really sorry I won't be around on the days that you're filming. But, and then he just said to me, would you like to see it? Uh, and <laughs> immediately I knew. And I just said, yes, yes, I would. I'd love to. And he just took me out of the room where we had the wreath and we walked down a corridor. And then we went through a door and there was some blackout curtain and he pulled back the blackout curtain and I stepped into the TARDIS. Um, Amazing. Which is a dream, really. And of course, it didn't have egg boxes because um, it had <laughs> when I first seen it. I, we had a shop. My parents had a shop and um, I, I made a valiant attempt to make a, a TARDIS at about the age of eight or nine with, with lots of egg boxes. Um, but here I was standing with the doctor in the TARDIS and it's, he just said, you know, all a lot of actors of your generation, this is immediately the first thing they want to do when they come here. And I can understand it because it, it's, it's, it's magical. Um, so I suppose David is my doctor, um, ultimately, uh, having worked with him twice. And I, I have to say, I think I thought he was absolutely fabulous. I thought he got the balance absolutely perfect. Yeah. I, yeah. I'd, I'll be one of them where the, the campaigns are bringing back every every five years or so, <laughs> first in the queue every time. But It's yeah, very was... funny because I, I take my hat off to uh, Whovians or uh, Doctor Who fans because they manage to know where you are before you know you're going to be there yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so my partner works in theatre and at the time was working with a marketing agency in London and rang me at about 5.15 in the evening and said, do you want to come into town? Because he was going to a first night of a, something Catherine Tate was in. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I literally stepped in the shower and threw some clothes on and drove into town. And I was stood outside the theatre talking to a producer of something I was about to do. Uh, and somebody came up and tapped me very politely and very nicely on the show and said, Hi, Mr. Clayton, uh, and opened a book. And there they got my pictures of uh, Mr. Bartle's brief career. And I went, oh, goodness gracious, you know, how on earth did you know I was going to be here and, and all that? And um, uh, the total irony of it was that we were telling this story about two months later 
while we were stood in a queue to go and see David doing a, a reading at the venue in Leicester Square he was doing. And um, oh, no. we were busy telling the story of uh, being tapped on the shoulder by a polite Hoovian. Uh, when what should happen right at that moment that there was a tap on my shoulder and somebody said, sorry, Mr. Clayton, and again, <laughs> got a book with the photograph in. I, I didn't even know I was coming to this. So um, I, I do admire people's um, persistence. Fantastic, that is. I think the, the whole world of, um, the whole world of um, Doctor Who, um, I know, Stu, I know you're massively, massively more au fait with me. But again, it's like a peep show in that the people that are in the people that are into peep show, the people that are into um, Doctor Who really are rabid about it, um, really do love it. Um, and you must get inundated with kind of requests to to appear in in well, things like, you know, recordings and, and things like that in relation to to to, to both of those forms. I, I know that you do some some kind of like voice acting in terms of um on request for like peep show at the moment is that taking up a lot of your time during lockdown at the minute um it's nice when people uh make that request and they identify with um the character so it's good to be able to do that for people i mean lockdowns made us all reassess what we do and how we do it um so um, that's great and it means something to people I mean I sort of think of it the other way of I think you know if I could have had the access when I was younger you know in my 20s and 30s to people I admire what would that have meant to me so if I am free uh, and able to to do it um, I I like doing those messages I think they're they're great fun and the thing is, all programmes need viewers. And if people mm -hmm. don't watch things, there's no point in them making. Uh, you know, Peep Show was going to finish, I think, after season three um, because of the figures. And they took a gamble on yeah. season four. And I was lucky enough to be asked to join. Uh, I'd never heard of it. I remember watching a bit of an episode on YouTube or something the day before I went to meet Robert Popper, who was producing that series. And of course, at the end of season four, they won the BAFTA, which was brilliant. And we yeah. went on to do nine, which was great. So I'm always thrilled when when people let me know they're, a fan, they're fans. The, the difficult one is when people come up and just say hello, which is very nice. And then they go, you are in my favorite sitcom. And, um, I also did two seasons of a sitcom called Him and Her on BBC Three, mm. which was beautiful and brilliant to be in. And 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 I never thought I'd find something that was as much fun to work on as Peep Show. And Him and Her was a joy, and particularly our last series, because it was a big ensemble piece and we were all there for seven weeks. So you have to be really careful. You just you sort of look at people and make a joy, a, a judgment. <laughs> Because I've got it wrong a couple of times and gone, oh, him and her. And they go, no, peep show. Or you go, no, peep show. And it's the other one. So I just now go, oh, good. And that is, <laughs> uh, and let them finish the sentence. Amazing. So, Paul, as well, you've got a book coming out, we believe, uh, shortly. Uh, like a very good segue. It's worth you coming back <laughs> in, Andy, there. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, no, uh, I have. Um, 
you you have a bucket list, don't you? And they all say that there's a we all have a book inside us. Um, and I was asked to write two books on acting um, about ten years ago, eight years ago. I was commissioned, uh, and I wrote them. And I thought, right, so physically I can write a book, uh, but I would like to write a book that I would like to read. Um, mm. And I love whodunits, and I love thrillers and anything that I my brain has to work at. Um, so I thought I'll write a thriller, and I wrote a thriller called The Punishment, which is not autobiographical, um, <laughs> but it is about an ex-soap star who lands on hard times and gets involved with a burglar, um, and a whole series of events happen. Um, and uh, I didn't do the burglar. In, I was asked when I was 25, I didn't meet a burglar, and we had a little uh dalliance and he did ask me if i would hire a car um and i said i did have to go to a dinner party and ask a lot of friends should i, <laughs> uh, I said, no but i've always imagined what would have happened if i'd said yes so the punishment is is what happens when somebody says yes and um it was very well received and people um like it and say it's a good read and it's the sort of thing i'd love to read that when i'm on a sunbed or something so uh, I had planned a second one inspired by a little piece in a newspaper and I was going to go to France on a writer's retreat last March to some friends of mine to kickstart it and then um, a global pandemic set in and um, I thought right well now we've all got lots of time on our hands I suppose I better write it so um, I, I wrote it um, during the first lockdown and um, uh, I think I also I did a course in criminal psychology at the same time, and I think one influenced the other. Um, and the first book was quite plotted out because, as I said, it was based on an incident that had happened, and then I'd plotted what if. Uh, I think this one is more of what authors call a pantser, that you write it by the seat of your pants, because when I got to the end of it, there were things in it that I didn't even know were going to happen. So it's about a toxic friendship and about um, how we spend a lot of time these days asking people to be kind uh, just for the sake of it uh, without probably have we really understood what kindness means and friendship and um, you know, in the first lockdown, everybody was ending their news bulletins by saying, and be kind to one another. And I thought, why? <laughs> <laughs> because there are some people appearing on the television who are telling me things that I don't want to hear um, and mismanaging my country in a global pandemic. And why should I be kind? Um, I'm kind to my friends and I love my friends and I hope they love me in return. But um, so there's an exploration, I think, of, of, of the nature of friendship, but um, hopefully it's page turner and it's called The Hoax and it's coming out hopefully on the 1st of April, but certainly in the first week of April, um, appropriately. So um, if you do like, and if you are, if you do get the chance to go on holiday, you know, if Boris Land allows us to go on holiday, <laughs> uh, it's perfect for um, a couple of days on the sunbed. Superb. Superb. When it, it it just goes to show though that you 
achieve more in three months of lockdown one than I have in 37 years of my whole life. So <laughs> I prefer pay for that. I'm terrible there. I, I, I am, you know, I mean, I have had days when there is nothing in the diary and then you sit at the computer and you just think, oh, what, what today? Why? You know, and um, I realised how much of my life is meeting deadlines that other people set you know mm -hmm. as an actor you're not in control of your career you can say yes or no but you are waiting for people to ask you to do things and a lot of young actors now are really good at, at creating projects and one good thing out of lockdown is a lot of people created work that they've been able to get online um but i've realized that one thing i have to do is is you know is kick myself up the arse rather than wait for somebody else to do it. Um, so uh, that's a positive, I think. And I think, you know, one of the things we all need to do is not look back at this time and think it's over, but to actually think, what have I got out of it? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, have I, what am I taking away? Because otherwise you have wasted a year, 18 months of your life, and that's too valuable to... To waste so you know what are you taking away i love you know i love zoom calls i love the fact that i can see people when i talk to them um so all that's brilliant and i think it uh is something that i would certainly want to keep as part of my life um going forward i mean that's one of the advantages of doing this for us i mean this is i mean for me well especially for me because i was furloughed first and probably the only time because you two escaped didn't you yeah we did uh, um, so I, it was literally my only contact other than people who I live with <laughs> to the outside world, talking to these two every week about yeah. this cage. So <laughs> We started a, a quiz group, I think about two weeks in, and I just put a WhatsApp out on my WhatsApp saying my partner and I are going to do a quiz. And we'd done a couple of quizzes, and of course, like everybody, we thought, oh, we can do one better. Um, and um, so we did... It, and I think we had about 16 or 18 teams, um, one in France, one in, I think we did start with somebody else abroad as well. Um, but anyway, they became a WhatsApp group and we carried on right through till July. And then we had a little break and people said, but we really like them, you know, it's me. and people were trying to meet up in person because none of these people knew everybody. There were actors writers, PR agents, teachers. Um, and then we did a couple and then I was filming in November. Um, and as soon as we'd finished filming, we just escaped. We just finished the film and then we went into tears and things. And, um, mm. and then uh, we went back to quiz and we've been quizzing straight through. And I think we'll probably be carrying on till, till April. Um, and it's been brilliant. And also, it's been really socially supportive, those mm. people on WhatsApp and having a, mm. a gang. I, You know, sometimes I walk, I come in here into my office at home and I'll clear something out of the hallway on the side. I think, we've got people coming round tonight. And then, of course, <laughs> I realise we haven't. <laughs> I'm going to have about 40 people on my uh, screen. And we play bingo. And then we have four rounds of quiz questions and... We've got very flash with video, and we should do a Nicholas Cage round now, shouldn't we? <laughs> Definitely, yeah. <laughs> like Fantastic. It. So, Paul, the premise of our podcast is we are here to answer the big questions in film. Anything that anyone has ever thought 
we're here to tell them the answers. Okay. We've had a few. We've had a few listener questions sent in. Uh, so, Matt, if you would like to do us the honour and tell us what we've uh, got to answer, please. Yeah, absolutely. So, thanks again to everybody who sent in their questions this week. We really do appreciate it. We'll jump straight in with uh, Andrew Wright's question. So, if you could remake any film but with only half of the budget of the original, which film would it be? So, I'm guessing it's something that if you if you cut it enough it's still going to maintain its magic um what film would you would you do hmm. thinking about it i'm pretty sure that the pirates of the caribbean caribbean films are like 400 million dollars to, to make those films there's no way on earth that those films deserve that kind of a budget i would slash that i think you can remove some of the actors because some of the actors in there really just made up the numbers, to be perfectly honest. I don't think the storyline particularly warranted it. And there's four, five of these films. I'd, <laughs> I'd say, yeah, get rid of them. At least half of their budget. I'd be quite happy to, for that to happen. Paul, is there any is there any film that you can think of? Um, if you slash the budget, you'd still get a get a serviceable film or something you'd enjoy watching. You see, that's the problem, isn't it? Because the ones that immediately come to mind when you say, what would you slash the budget on are the ones that you want to slash the budget because you want less of the film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think of Armageddon and Bruce Willis, which I had the great displeasure of having to sit through in a cinema in Lyme Regis. Um, and Lyme Regis was lovely, but um, all those people trying to save the world. And you just think if you cut half of that, perhaps none of that nonsense in space has to go on. And you just concentrate on the people looking up at the sky, waiting to see whether the asteroid hits or it misses. Um, I think it's storytelling that's the key. Uh, and sometimes what's the what's the least you need to tell the story? Um, and some people go bananas and um, and throw loads of things at it. And I think that film was an example of that in that you know it should have been breathtaking and actually all the stuff in space and stuff was just a bit preposterous um maybe uh if they could take all of the space stuff but do it in clay motion like wallace and gromit or like more or it could just be about you could have lots of shots people with people looking up at the mm -hmm. sky slightly tense and we could call it hemorrhoid certainly <laughs> <laughs> could <laughs> Certainly could. Shu, what would uh, what would you do if you could slash half the budget of a film? Um, what would you do if you could remake it? There's one film that screams that half of it is completely unnecessary, and Andy knows exactly what I'm going to say. You all just cut out the whole Casino Planet nonsense from The Last Jedi. That saves at least $200 million from the budget. So, And like Paul just said, have a few people looking up at the sky or looking at something interesting rather than shit horses. There you go. Job's the good one. It works. Excellent. Uh, David Evans wants to know, well, well, it's more of a statement, really. Is it about time that motion capture performances are treated as Oscar-worthy nominations in acting categories, or has there not been a performance yet to warrant the nomination or that discussion taking place? Is mocap more of a collaboration between actor and animator? Any thoughts Absolutely. on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, I'm amazed that we still haven't got that category yet anyway. Just, I mean, when was Lord of the Rings? It was 2001. And it, it's 20 years later, and that's still not an Academy Award. Ridiculous. And obviously it's going to be the Lord himself um, who gets it. But even it, 
You look at motion capture performances in games. I mean, have you done any of that, Paul? Motion capture. Um, I haven't done any. Uh, it's the word motion that frightens me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't mind the capture, but the motion. I was just watching um, the last series of Call My Agent today, and there's a scene with a lovely French actor who said that he only accepts parts in which there he sits down or has no more than 15 steps in any one shot. Uh, and I thought that's a really bloody good idea, isn't it? Um, but I do know a lot of young actors who do a lot of that and do it very well. And I think there is certainly an argument for the fact that um, in some instances, the performance element is very high. I mean, obviously, Andy Serkis and, and, and the stuff he's created is probably you know, the leader in the field. But they are creating the performance for the animators to work with. Um, yeah. I think it would be a joint, I, I, a joint award because um, what is put onto the actor, I think, is as important as what the actor delivers. But the starting point is certainly what the person does in the studio. So, um, and like, and today there are lots of people we're acknowledging. I mean, it's taken all these years and um, to acknowledge casting directors. Uh, and it's only in the last year that awards have been given to casting directors. Uh, and actually, the brilliance of a group of people together in one room or on one film set to create a piece of work is often the work of a casting director bringing the right people together for the director to choose from. So I think we should be, I think we should be more generous in, in who we think there are awards for. And motion capture is, you know... Uh, both in movies and on games, and I am a bit of a gamer. I do, I do like, mm. I do my, I do like my Mario Kart. Colour me curious. Excellent. Well, Stu, Stu will be delighted. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. Oh, I think. Oh. Sorry, Matt. I'd agree. Motion capture, I think, is it's as worthy as anything else. I also think that voice acting should be given more recognition at the Oscars. Um, animation, I think, is superb and big fan of like the Batman animated series and watching Mark Hamill perform as the Joker. He's not just voicing the Joker. He is the Joker. You can see it in his face and his movements. It deserves a lot more uh, recognition than it gets. Mm, I'd agree with that as well. Um, finally, Richard Hobbs uh, wants to know, film or TV, what's your favourite acting performance of a character that you despise? So he's currently re-watching Friends, as a lot of us have done over lockdown. David Schwimmer plays Ross so well with some fantastic delivery, but Ross is an awful human being. <laughs> so a, a character, um, or an acting performance, but a character that you really dislike. The Joffrey? problem with that question, sorry, Stu, the problem with the question is that Rich has given the perfect answer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Joffrey from um, Game of Thrones, because mm. he was an utterly despicable <laughs> human being. But that performance was exceptional for the whole series, from him being... was He He must have been a child when he started, and it's been mm. a, a long time now. Yeah, that, that performance from start to finish was superb. I just find it quite difficult to... Because when somebody... The, the character, you despise the character for whatever reason... I rather think how fabulously juicy it must be to play that. It's much mm. more interesting to play somebody who's um, unpopular and not liked and whatever, because you have to play them from the perception that they are 
liked and they they're not necessarily going around doing evil they're doing what they believe to be right or 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 what they think is good you know um ross thinks he's probably very charismatic and charming and um very popular and um that's the talent behind david swimmer's performance um so i i don't know really um i suppose i I, it's difficult, isn't it? Because then when you think, I'd hate you if I met you in real life, but I do find you very funny. Um, Victor Meldrew would be right up there. Yeah, yeah. I would just tell you to fuck off. <laughs> you were in the queue in front of me and making all that fuss. I'd just take one, go, you know. But at the same time, because I think it's acknowledged by the writing and the, and the brilliant performance of Richard Wilson, you can't help but laugh at and with so mm. um possibly that that might not be a good answer for for richard that um that i might be evading a little bit but um <laughs> well that's that's, a, that's our mantra on this podcast <laughs> 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 but no thank you everybody for sending in your questions it is appreciated as always um we'll put a tweet out usually in the middle of the week prior to the episode record so have a look out for that even better set the little bell notifications so you'll get uh tweet notifications come up and then you won't miss the opportunity to get a question in on the podcast super thank you very much so we'll move on to our questions now and we've got a little bit of a tenuous link to uh, your career here paul so my first question because you're in holby city i would like to know what is your favorite film or tv show that is set in or around a hospital okay Uh... Paul, what's your favorite hospital related film or tv show do you know, it, it's, it, I was thinking through it, and I, I was thinking, um, you know, the, the, the first point of call had to be carry on doctor or carry on nurse or carry on matron. Um, probably, ca- they're, they're all a bit similar, so it's hard to differentiate. Carry on matron, I suppose, because of the fabulous Hattie Jakes walking down a corridor you know, throwing more bosom in your face than a teenage boy should be expected to cope with. Um, but then, I and I loved them all, but I, I don't know. I I think because even at an early age, it was things like whodunits and mysteries and um, that really grabbed my attention. You know, Famous Five and then the Five Finder Outers when I was a kid and then Agatha Christie from about the age of 11 and then just couldn't get hold of enough Agatha Christie to read. So anything that's a bit off kilter. And um, I have mentioned it before, but I, I, I like The Hospital with Diana Rigg and George C. Scott. And it's a film about somebody visiting a relative in hospital and a senior surgeon and something is going on. Uh, and you don't know what it is for a long time, but it's it's very suspect, and people are disappearing in this building, and um, and it's brilliant, Paddy Chayefsky, and it's a brilliant script, uh, and um, it, it it's very unsettling because we go to hospitals to be cured and to be helped. And the thought that if you went to a hospital and something like this happened to you, um, which you wouldn't know about, 
but an injection and suddenly you're lying and you can't speak on a trolley and you're going to be donor material or whatever you know we go to hospitals and we trust implicitly mm. and of course in the last 12 months we've we've all had that in our mind and we've seen pictures of what's been going on in hospitals so we give an enormous amount of trust and the fact that 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 in that film the the sense of unease as to what was going on was brilliant so um i think it would be the hospital nothing like that goes on in holby um, <laughs> i go to holby every eight months or so i'm due for a visit um, evidently, I'm a gay role model in Holby, Roger. Um, I have been there. I spend, I spend, I, I go and spend about four days in bed, and um, some very handsome younger men come and stand at the side of the bed and talk to me, and I solve their issues about being gay or whatever. We never really concentrate on what disease I'm suffering from at the time, and. Um, at the end, we assume I leave because eight months later I come back in cheery, but with something else wrong. Uh, it always coincides. With, yeah, yeah, and it always coincides with somebody having a romantic uh, issue about their gender. So, um, you know, that could be that could be a bit uneasy as well. But Holby's brilliant and great fun to do and great people. But yes, the hospital. Long answer. Sorry. <laughs> when he's almost stolen my thunder there because mine is awake which is a very similar kind of um concept that hayden christensen jessica alba film um where again you go into hospital to be treated and not to be uh not to wake up when you're under the not getting ready to be under the knife and murdered <laughs> so yeah but obviously er is superb and i know andy probably expected me to say er anyway um but yeah, awake for me. Absolutely wonderful. I don't really want to say too much about it because it's, I mean, that's the main thing, but it's just, it's one of them, like you said, Paul, whodunits. And it kind of, not really a whodunit, but it's it's more of a thriller than it is a horror. It's very underrated. No one ever talks about it for some reason. But yeah, awake, 2017. There's, um yeah, there, there's an earlier one, isn't there, called, um, called Coma with Genevieve Bougeau, the French actress, which is a similar premise written by Michael Crichton. Um, and that is um, unsettling. For me, um, well, any excuse on this podcast to bring up Lost, the greatest <laughs> episode of a TV show of all time, uh, I will. But I know there's seldom actually in Lost that's related to hospital. And I'm so I'm going to make my apologies to Andy now because I think I'm going to steal his thunder here by saying Green Wing. Nope. Uh, no, that's okay. <laughs> no, Green Wing for me. It was... Um, I got into kind of Green Wing and Black Books quite late, really, in comparison to to a lot of people. Um, I, again, I, didn't, I hadn't watched Spaced until I was kind of midway through uni either. So it was it was Mark Heap, really, that got me looking at um, Green Wing. Um, and then just the surrealness of the show just really grabs me. And it's, it's these people that where everything's turned up to 11, and it's the the foibles of people's personalities pushed to the extreme in a scenario, which is obviously a very high pressure job to begin with. And I think it's just an excellently made sitcom in, 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 a, in an area that doesn't get a lot of exploration from a, you know, we have ER and we have like Grey's Anatomy and we have things like that, but as, as kind of, I wouldn't say slapstick, but as a sitcom, 
I don't think gets a lot of love. So a, a green wing for me. Excellent. Uh, my offering is going to be the show Scrubs. I think Scrubs is an absolute masterpiece of sitcom telling. It doesn't matter where in the world they actually decided to set it in the end. The stories are so perfect that it could have been about absolutely anything. Just the fact that it is in a hospital just sort of adds to it, really. The storytelling, it, it sort of manages to make you cry with laughter one minute and then just cry with tears of despair the next. Somehow they managed to find this balance between the two and it's just perfect. Mm. I think the performance of Zach Braff, he really is the everyman. I'm such a big fan of Zach Braff in pretty much anything. He's the modern day everyman because he kind of looks a little bit geeky. He doesn't look like he's not a Hollywood superstar. He looks just like a normal dude. And I think that that makes you love that character. He's got this family around him that are all friends. They're all there for each other. You want to be part of that group. It's so inviting. And there's just something so familiar about it. Mm. So for me, Scrubs, like hands down, is that's probably one of my all-time favourite shows, let alone my favourite um, hospital-based one. I think what I like about Scrubs is something that a lot of shows, it has the subtlety of a of a, of a house brick, really, in other areas. So what Scrubs does really well is it'll have its comedic elements, but then it will drop its serious notes every now and then. You know, it will have its mm. serious elements. But it doesn't do it in, in a way that is just so... It, do, it feels like out of kilter. In Scrubs, it's done well. It, it's believable. It's not just out of the blue, they drop a bombshell and then the tone changes so rapidly. In Scrubs, it's, it feels organic. It feels real because we're invested in these characters and the way that they are only trying to do the right thing but by the patients, etc. Um, it feels real, whereas I think other shows hit the, don't hit the mark as well. It's timeless Absolutely, as well. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I've just re- recently restarted watching it, and it's it's still great. It still gets me in the feels every time. When Jill Tracy dies, like my heart absolutely breaks. Uh, I love it, absolutely love it. And obviously, me and Stu have become big fans of Ted Lasso, which is by the same showrunner. And I do feel that Ted Lasso has taken that on as well. They've managed to find the balance between the comedy and the drama perfectly. Excellent. So the next question. This week is Stuart's. So in honour of Torchwood, I thought, what's the perfect question to ask related to Wood? And that has to be, of course, what is the most wooden performance by an A-list actor? Paul? <laughs> you want to lead the way? God. <laughs> make an absolute rule. On social media, I will destroy anybody who's trying to sell me anything and screws it up. You know, air tickets and deliveries and things and I try and be funny but um, a lot of people go oh I love your Twitter because you know you're chasing somebody again for a refund for a <laughs> sofa that was never delivered um, but I steer very clear of commenting on anything that anybody does um, people you get it people comment on um, um, one's own work um, they say some things that are um, uh, praiseworthy um, if amusing, somebody once took a screenshot of me in Hollyoaks um, with another actor of my age um, and seriously posted it and saying the two sexiest men on Channel 4 at the moment, <laughs> um, which was as big a surprise to me as it was to the other actor because neither of us thought we were employed with that. 
Um, so it is rather difficult to see a film the other night and I wanted to post something and I thought, oh no, don't. Um, I, but a particularly, I'm going to say, go and find this film because I don't think anybody will have ever seen it and then work out. I'm quite happy to take the award myself in this film, but I think there are people who were worse than me. Um, I worked in 1987 with the legend that was Ken Russell uh, and I did um, Salome's Last Dance, which was shot in three weeks at Elstree and was part of a three-picture deal he had um, to make each movie for less than a million dollars. So, yeah, so Glenda Jackson, Stratford Johns, Nicholas Grace, Douglas Hodge. Um, we were all there virtually every day. And virtually it was the stage play, um, which is very wordy and obscure, um, but done as though the inhabitants of a male brothel were putting on a performance for Oscar Wilde, as you would. Um, so some of us were members of the aristocracy who were patronising the brothel and others of us were um, rent boys and rent girls. And there, there was a whole gender hermaphrodite thing going on that was quite difficult to fathom and um, it's one of those jobs where you write the fee on your wrist and then you look at it just before they say action um, and then you know why you're there. Um, it is, I was painted from head to foot in gold and on my first afternoon I was lying on a sofa next to Glenda Jackson and in the first take I let her feed me two pieces of Turkish delight. I mean, it was Glenda Jackson and she was a goddess. Uh, that was good. Um, I was reasonably inexperienced in film at that time because we then did 48 takes of that. Uh, so that meant 96 pieces of Turkish delight, which meant a trip to the bathroom very quickly and bringing my stomach contents up. Um, there are quite a lot of very good actors in that who would be mistaken for kindling. <laughs> so I'm going to let the audience take their choice, but that's that's where you'll find it. This, and, and it is lurking on the internet. It's it's, on, it's still it's a six point five on IMDb though. It's it looks sensational. To be fair, we've got to do an episode on this. We have to. Superb. I've added it to the list. <laughs> uh, my answer. I really struggle to pick a specific film, but the actor is Mark Wahlberg. And to be honest, you can take your pick because he's more wood than he is man for the majority of his performances. Even in Ted, where he's supposed to be a a comedic character, he really does suck the life out of that film a little bit. And then you've got to look at the Transformers films. And sorry, Stu, but they are terrible. And he's the worst thing in it with animatronic vehicles. He's more, he's less believable than a car that changes into a robot. <laughs> so it's, it's Mark Wahlberg for pretty much everything he does, apart from The Fighter, which is a very good film. Daddy's Home. Nope. <laughs> um, for me, I've, I've got um, I've got Hayden Christensen in the prequels um, on the basis that it, it's easy. It's easy. Yeah. It's, easy. it's an easy answer. But one that may may or may not give me. Make, make me lose some uh, of what little respect I have on this podcast. Um, Tom Cruise in Rain Man, for me, felt a little... It felt too forced. Per, it's just a personal preference. I love Tom Cruise. I think he's a fantastic actor. I really do. Um, but in Rain Man, 
I love that film. It's one of those that like it gets me every time. It's like the it's in the same category as the, the royal family Queen of Sheba episode. And then it gets me going because it's got this it's got this like brotherly yeah the, the whole thing the whole I've talked about it loads but I just felt it, it felt forced in Rain Man for me. Um, it felt a little put on a little hokey uh, in comparison to some of the other roles that he's done, which which I really enjoy him in. Um, but there we go. Those are, that's my answer, Stu. Oh, I'm lost for words. <laughs> I can't believe you said, oh dear, this ain't been edited out. You can take the flack this week. <laughs> um, I mean, I, just for uh, your information, Paul, I did slag off The Wizard of Oz the last two weeks running that it's it's overrated. So uh, that's where that's come from, which I still believe. Um, but in mine was Halle Berry in Catwoman. Just just awful. Mm. It's a, She'd already been in two X-Men films by that point. Well, one and a bit X-Men films by that point and Swordfish, which I know Andy doesn't like, but she was all right. She was not what she went went on to become, but then Catwoman happened and it's just atrocious. It's like, like Paul said, you write the feet on the back of your hand and she could have been writing that feet all <laughs> over her body because she didn't, not many people did turn up in that film. And if that had been the death of, comic book films again after the uh, mm. Schumacher Batman films and it wouldn't have been a surprise because it was just shocking but yeah so that was that was the easy one for me fair enough it is really difficult because sometimes you get a script and you read the script and you think it's good and then you get a growing feeling while you're shooting that it's possibly not as good as you thought um, and then but then actually, sometimes you go and see it and um, it's a surprise. Um, I mean, we had a ball making Ali G in the house, but we shot an awful lot of stuff that's not in the film. Um, and I think at the first cut, it ran three hours and it's, I think, 84 minutes or 96 minutes now. And then I remember some people's performances just never appeared. Um, and actually you thought oh, oh well you know it's, and but it works you know it's fun and people like it and and in no small um, way respect to you know the, the the excellent work from Sasha Baron Cohen but um uh it is funny I don't think anybody sets out even we joke about I'm doing it for the money you know you do try and make a judgment that you think you're doing something worthwhile for your craft um, and then you find out you are just doing it for the money. And <laughs> you hope it doesn't harm you. <laughs> I know we're. I, don't know. I know we're, um, we're name dropping again, but you think about Sasha Baron Cohen there. I mean, I put um, the Trial of the Chicago Seven as my favourite film of last year on the Netflix film. I thought he was absolutely superb. But is he actually a really clever bloke? Yeah. Yeah, simple answer. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, he is a really clever broke, and I think he can. But also, what I really respected of him was that he, um, uh, when he did the film Ali G, Ali G up until then had only reacted with real people in interview situations, hmm. and hadn't reacted in fictional situations with people playing characters. And we had done several round-the-table read-throughs. In fact, I think I attended one before knowing I was actually going to be in it. I was asked, would I get with different people reading in 
so they could hear the script. And the director, the brilliant Mark Mylod, who has recently done Succession, um, started. Uh, and the very first day of filming, I was lucky enough that it was a friend of mine who was in as the sort of guest artist that day, Carolyn Pickles. And she was playing the headmistress of a school. And it was the scene where I take Ali G uh, canvassing to a school. And the kid arrives, he's been a victim of bullying and he's slightly overweight. And uh, Ali G pays a homage with the tune, you know, hey, fatty bum bum. <laughs> um, and we weren't allowed to have a fat child. We had to have a thin child in a fat suit. Um, Never. But on that first day, we were doing what Carolyn and I have done for many years in that we were doing a scene which we did several times and from several different angles. And the idea being that you recreate, you don't repeat, but you recreate the continuity. And uh, Sasha didn't re did understand that, but had never done it. Uh, and so he would come out with slightly different things on another take. And you could see that they're going, will that cut together? Mm. Um, and of course, everything he did was brilliant. Um, everything he did was, was, was fantastic. Um, but would it cut together? And he was very curious at lunch and asked us and said, you know, what is the key to doing it all these times and making it similar enough that it can be used, but fresh enough that it doesn't look dreadful? Uh, and it made us think about what we do and what we've learned. Um, I mean, it's a joy when you have somebody who's um, so brilliant. We did that scene in the church hall where he's talking to the Staines women's group. Uh, and mercifully, they, they put a load of extras in there and they didn't tell them what he was going to say. And they filmed them first. So Sasha and I were on the stage. I'm sat at the back and Sasha's doing the speech. But they Mark very cleverly, rather than doing the master shot of, of Ali G first, he filmed the audience's reaction to Sasha doing all that stuff about the furry cup and have you got the decorators in? <laughs> and there were women who were quite appalled, <laughs> um, understandably, um, which was great. And it was also great for me because I was behind the camera and able to snigger a lot. And then when they got to the bit where I was supposed to look bored and appalled, um, he'd done it enough times that I'd, I'd not used to what to say, but um, it was very funny. Amazing. But he's very, very, he is very clever. And he knows what he's doing and, and, and the, the risks he takes on things are fantastic. Have you seen the latest Borat film? Uh, yes, Borat No Come Back or whatever, or <laughs> Borat the... Yeah, and I did like some of it. I have to say I didn't jump up and down about it. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, that's, that's how we felt, I think. We, 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 liked, yeah. we liked part of it. It was nothing like the first one, though. But again, it was filmed in lockdown and under weird circumstances and 15, yeah, 16 years later. It yeah, it hadn't found its tone for me. You know, it didn't find its through line. I felt, and I was a bit suspicious about which bits were real and which bits weren't. And if you're yeah. suspicious and start questioning that, you don't go, if it's all actors and you know it's all actors, you go with it. And if it's all reality, you go with it. But we know from stuff he's done previously, that there are people in the real world who are mightily stupid <laughs> and are very entertaining to watch because they are stupid. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's the Colosseum in ancient Rome, isn't it? We, we like to laugh at them and watch them failing. But when we're in that netherworld of, is that a, is that a real person? 
no, it can't be. Uh, is that an actress? Is you know, and I mean, we obviously know it's what's his face, Giuliana, Giuliani, but um, uh, there's bits of that sequence that you just think, is that an actor? Have they set that up or whatever? And while your brain's doing that, you're not wholeheartedly going with the comedy of it. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. Fair, fair yeah, to take, definitely. to be so the third question this week is on you, Matthew. Thank you very much. Well, as I've mentioned already, and pretty much, so Paul, on nearly every opportunity I get to mention Peep Show, I do on this podcast. It should come as no surprise that mine <laughs> is loosely Peep Show related. So in the in the in the theme of Peep and Peeping Tom, name your favourite stalker slash Peeping Tom film. Paul, if you want to go first. Okay. Um... Obviously, the minute you say that, then Peeping Tom comes to mind with <laughs> yeah. the masterpiece. Um, but I remember, I, I think I'd seen that on t before I was capable of really understanding it and then revisited it. Um, and then I, uh, when I read your question, I suddenly thought, God, what's that film? Something flashed before me. And I remember watching it and I did see it in a cinema and think it, I'm scared. And the, and then I so I went back and did a bit of research and then I I looked at it and it's a film called Copycat mm. with Sigourney Weaver. Mm. Funnily enough, I've just watched her being very funny in in episode five of Call My Agent on Netflix today. But um, she's being stalked. She's a reporter or a journalist or whatever. Uh, and it, there's lots of I just remember it being one of the, with lots of glass buildings and lots of you know the beginning of surveillance and things like that uh, and also there's a genuine I've got to be careful what I say now because there's a genuine sort of twist about who's behind it um, at the end but I remember it being a real edge of the seat thing you know, I used to go to as an actor when you were working in theatre uh, and I might have been when I saw this I can't remember exactly but you quite often get free tickets to the cinema or cheap tickets to the cinema and you go in the afternoon on your own. Um, and that's great because it's really nice. What you don't want to do is turn up like I did when I was making a film in Leeds for the five o'clock showing of Woman in Black and find you're the only person in the cinema. <laughs> and then you debate where you need to sit near the exit or, or whatever. Uh, or the other thing that happens is you go in and the cinema's empty and then one other person comes in and they sit right behind you. <laughs> yeah, and you've got to say, why? The whole cinema's empty. Why do you want my BO throughout this film? You know, <laughs> And of course, it's then a game of a sort of chicken as to who's going to move first, you know, um, which is normally I just turn around. I'm a, a bit, that's where I'm a bit Sophie's dad, actually, Matt. Because I will just turn round to people and go, are you going to sit there? <laughs> <laughs> now, hopefully, they look frightened enough and they move. But on occasion, they go, yes. And then, they, then I will move. And hopefully, they, you know, because the thing about acting is most of the characters we create are somewhere within ourselves. Yep. And mm. so dad is a marvellous creation. And, and I think Jesse and um, uh, Sam were quite surprised how much sympathy he got because I don't think they necessarily wrote him as a sympathetic character, but uh, he came across as, as rather sympathetic uh, with his life. 
Um, so I get a great deal of empathy from, from people, but the sort of fascist right-wing shooting, you know, drinking, ultimately barn burning, homophobe, not badger bait. Not badger bait. <laughs> oh, this is, great, um, this is the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> uh, sadly, some of that is within me. So, uh, people watch it and go, you're brilliant. And my other half watches it and goes like, well, you're just, you're being you, darling. You know? um, so I think that uh, that whole thing of, I, I saw that film in an afternoon cinema mm -hmm sitting on my own there may have been other people around and it's a really good way to um to up the fright stakes amazing so i think it'd be copycat brilliant Stu, what about yourself <laughs> how can i follow that um <laughs> i think when we went down a, a michael douglas kind of route wormhole the other week and it got me thinking about this and i i've got it i've got it ready to watch at some point in the next two weeks, fatal attraction. It's mm -hmm. going flipping it on its head and having the woman being the stalker, which mm -hmm. you never really think of, do you? It's the whole start of the bunny boiler thing of the late eighties, early nineties, and I just think it's superb. And I mean, I'm, I ain't seen it for about fifteen years, so it's hopefully it's not aged. <laughs> now I've said all this, but yeah, I just thought it was just magnificent. It's just how you can just see how she get how she turns and how it, her obsession with him just gets hold of it and it just takes over a whole mind and body and it's the only thing she can think about and mm. you think I've never been in that situation I've been married 10 years so maybe I should be but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, yeah it's just a, a wonderful film it doesn't get talked about that often anymore maybe because it's like like what is it 87 ish so yeah Fatal Attraction Michael Douglas for me mm. and uh, Stu if you're going down a Michael Douglas rabbit hole, Stu, check out Disclosure. I think you'll enjoy that one. Um, my answer, though, is a film from 2014 called It Follows. I don't know if you've heard of this one, but it's basically a sexually transmitted hex. So this guy has got this thing within him where a demon spirit entity he's chasing him but throughout the film when he's chasing him it is just walking along at a normal pace it never stops it keeps coming and this entity can move between people and the only way to get rid of this hex that's on you is to have sex with somebody else and he has sex with this girl and the whole film is just this spirit walking after this girl throughout the whole movie it sounds ridiculous like when you say it out loud what it is but it's superb like I, th I think it's well because the the entity doesn't run it's just this constant march just always coming and it just adds to the tension of it i think there's no real jump scares it's just always there lurking in the background so it's not it's not terrifying it's eerie and i think that is much worse because you can always just feel it. it's always just around the corner from you. So, yeah, 2014, it follows. The one that I did have as an honourable mention was going to be Friday the 13th, the original one from 1980. I love that film. I love an 80s slasher anyway. But, yeah, the um, I won't spoil it just in case people haven't seen it, but the villain in that one is a great stalker slash peeping Tom. Amazing. Amazing. So my pick for this, um, 
as I hastily return to my notes. Um, one hour photo with Robin Williams oh, was yeah. uh, an honourable mention um, for me. Excellent film, and I think at the time now I, I can't I can't pinpoint where it is in the filmography or the discography. If I, I think I butchered the pronunciation of that, where that is in terms of what he was doing around that time, but it was such a departure from what we're used to seeing with Robin Williams that. It's it's so uncomfortable as a watch because of that that it's just excellent. It really is excellent. It's chilling and mm. it's so believable. Like there's so many people in our lives that could be Robin Williams' character in one hour photo. Um, there's the obvious, you know, I had Fatal Attraction down, Misery again, another similar kind of thing there. But I wanted to turn it around and talk about us as the Peeping Toms yeah, in the Truman Show. In the fact that we are actually the voyeurs, um, and we are the ones that are that are peeping in on on another man's life, who is completely unbeknownst that the world around him is completely manufactured for everybody else's benefit. And I think, especially now in this nineteen eighty four world we're moving into, it, it mm-hmm. seems that the Truman Show is is as more valid as ever, um, and that you know programs like The Circle that are coming on soon, and and we and we have. You know, Big Brother from, um, I mean, how old is Big Brother now? I mean, Stu, 2000. You know, mm-hmm. 21 years of that, that we've been watching other people just live their mundane lives. And even things as innocent as Gogglebox, which I love, we are just watching other people yeah. and, and being voyeurs into their living rooms. Um, mm-hmm. Is that not the greatest? Well, we're doing that now also in Zoom, yeah, aren't yeah. we? We've all, we all, well, I'm not just looking at you, I'm looking at your decor. Or lack thereof. You know, so <laughs> we're getting... We're also, you know, and I'm also interested by why people who have to blur their backgrounds. What are they hiding? You know, what are they hiding? What are you hiding from it? Yeah, what are you hiding? So yeah. that's a really good choice, actually. Mm. That's an excellent thought. Yeah, it's all. It's- of course, the thing is that um, with Peep Show, that whole thing about working to the camera mm-hmm. in that way. You know, that the that what is life and and the other half of and some actors hated and uh, I don't know I'd never but I just never had a problem with it but the fact that you're talking right down that lens mm. and you the audience are are part of it mm, I, I, taking taking what was like, a, like a, a, an educated point for me and I'm about to say something ridiculous now and take the tone right down I saw fantastic clips of some of the filming of Peep Show when David Mitchell has to do a kissing scene and he kisses into this lips on the end of the on the end of the camera that must just be bizarre <laughs> and so un, unsettling like how do you how do you get yourself into the mindset of just trying to be a nook because the characters whilst at their extremes in some cases like super hands for example they are just normal human beings doing sometimes extraordinary things when you're faced with that from a filming challenge is it how, how do you keep in the mindset to do that I think the thing is we rehearse the scenes without any camera there. Mm. So with all of us and we rehearse the scene and that's the moment where we place it in our yeah. mind with Becky uh, Martin, who directed all the series I was in uh, and, and talk about it. And then you do, and then one of us steps out and uh, Nick, the cameraman steps in and Nick, has an amazing gift of already having managed to process most of the nods and things you do but you can stand behind Nick and then 
you just animate yourself a little bit so that he knows where the camera's going. And if you're drinking, you bring the drink round Nick and, uh, you know, up into the front of the shop. Okay. So it's there. So there's a camera and a man between you and that glass. Um, uh, and Nick is very good about wearing lots of deodorant and we all get very, very close to him, which is not unpleasant. Um, <laughs> but um, it mean, it, in a way, it's only like filmmaking normally is in that, you know, you do the scene, you set the scene and then you shoot it and we'll shoot it with you being the focus and I'm off camera and then we'll turn it round. And although both of us are there. So the the only bizarre thing is that if I'm doing dialogue and it's me stepping out, I will be stood away out of sight of the others. Uh, and they they're talking to um, a, a piece of masking tape on the camera hood mm -hmm. uh, and, and using, but you know, acting is imagining and um, True. Yeah. Uh, we probably all had imaginary friends as children. So um, we're just making money out of it really. <laughs> thanks, to Sam and, thanks to Sam and Jesse and David and Robert. Fantastic. So I've got to say, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast this evening, Paul. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining us. It's, like I said, just a, a dream come true. Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure. And uh, it's always fab to, because what we see and what we watch has become a bit like talking about the weather, hasn't it? We used to just talk about the weather when we didn't mm. have to talk about every conversation I've had with somebody on Zoom, where there's been things. Um, have you seen anything on Netflix? What have you seen on Amazon? Because mm. you know, we're all, di you know, devouring it at a rate of knots. So it's brilliant to um, to get the chance to to chat to people, and lovely to meet you all. And um, Matt, well done for having excellent taste in television comedy. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. I do try. I do try. Thank you. To, thank thank you to being a part of it. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, so next week, we are diving back into our Cage films. We're going to be looking at his latest adventure. That's right. We're going to Willy's Wonderland, a film described as a quiet drifter is tricked into a janitorial job at the now condemned Willy's Wonderland. The mundane tasks suddenly become an all out fight for survival against a wave of demonic animatronics. Willy's is available to rent from Amazon Prime Video and iTunes right now. So... Thank you for joining us this week. We thoroughly appreciate you sitting through this with us. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you could share and review, that would be fantastic. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Stay safe. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? One last shout for um, It's a Sin, yet again. Mom's watched it now. Absolutely. I mean, she never watches Channel 4 things, as, as you know, and she's very much set in her ways. I mean, she does love and things like that but um, trying to get her to watch edgy drama it just never happens but I said you need to watch it everyone's talking about it you need to watch it and she found me straight away she watched all five in a day so oh, wow. yeah if you haven't already just go and watch it now superb so, try. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, Paul would you like to say goodbye uh, I would thank you for inviting me along and um, when you watched It's a Sin which I would wholeheartedly join with Stu in uh, his recommendation it's, it's masterful drama um pop out and um, buy the hoax from Amazon or from your local bookshop in early April. 100%. I've already got the um, the punishment lined up on my Amazon list at the moment. Good man. <laughs> when you were talking man. about it, I thought, oh, yeah, I want to read that. Uh, and it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. <laughs>